turned out to be completely unreliable asshole. Hello, good morning, Tim. Good morning, Ryan. Right, this is where we <coughs> shake hands, but you're sick, so let's just do a little You pinky really, touch. you want to pinky touch me? Oh, now you're going to get sick. Hello, everyone. I'm Ryan. I'm Tim. And this is episode 25 of Dismembering Horror. Yeah. What is this show, Sick Tim? Oh, God. I feel like my sinuses have been dismembered. This is a show, a podcast, where we watch some horror films, and then we, quote-unquote, dismember them by talking about what worked for us and what didn't work for us and things that were interesting or noteworthy exactly oh my god my voice right now sounds great (laughs) and this is i think a milestone episode because it's 25 which is halfway to 50 which is halfway to 100 that's how we do it right sure yeah (laughs) um cool you know what you know what i think is really scary and horrifying being sick why I can't hear out of my ear right now. You take a, a Claritin or whatever helps supposed to help with that. I took um, some Mucinex DM. <laughs> I don't actually remember what the DM stands for. Should have had a a, a, gla- a nice <laughs> cup of tea instead of your your coffee there. I don't think it would have made much of a difference. Lots of honey is good for the throat. I've been sucking down the honey, and this and this uh, Indian root bark something and elderberry something and all those fun things good that sounds good (laughs) is there any business after swamp thing last week you want to address new thoughts on swamp thing last week's film um no still think it sucked (laughs) yeah (laughs) i want i didn't think it sucked i just you know it is what it is yeah (laughs) not not my favorite movie as we said yeah you you gave it an avoid i gave it a uh, a stream it yeah. A happy That's to stream fair. it. Well, this is, uh, I think, a lot to talk about today's film. So should uh, we watch? Yeah, we got to get into it. Let's, let's watch the trailer for opera. You are invited to enjoy an evening of terror. Oh man, 
opera. Oh. <clears throat> I'm so skeptical going into these Italian horror films just because, like, my memory of a lot of them. Like, I went to see some in theaters, I remember, at the Arrow Theater. No, at uh, the Egyptian Theater here. And it's just like, as I said, like, it felt like the middle chunks of them. I always just get lost and bored and the 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 dubbing puts me off and yeah well i have to say that none of that bothered me in this movie Ditto! <laughs> this one oh my god wait what do we do for no the summary first and then how we okay. rated it but okay. man this one tim it was we talk about needing a good one after a while yeah this did that for me agreed well how would you summarize it all right so actually where are we? Are we in Italy? Yeah, because it um, they're Italians, and the the opera house is in Italy, at okay. least in real life. All right, so here and we go. The outside looked like Italy, and... <laughs> looked, but know, it is a, no, you're right with these films. Generally it's like, European. Why is everyone speaking English with American accents though? <laughs> right. <laughs> um. Okay. So, it's Italy in the '80s, and there's an opera, and there's a diva, and there's some ravens. And she doesn't like the Ravens. And so she storms out after saying the name of the, the opera, which is Macbeth, which is a big no-no in the theater. And she gets hit by a car. So we got to get our, um, uh, what's it called? The person who is um, the... the oh Understudy. God. Understudy. Thank you, Jesus. I'm the non-theater one here, yeah, right? too. <laughs> Fuck. So we got to get our understudy. And she's this beautiful ingenue. And she's, you know, she's charming and, and a little nervous to, to dive into such a big role. But she does it and she crushes it. And also somebody gets killed during her performance. A stagehand. And that sets us on this mystery murder mystery in the opera house of people getting killed and her being the subject of having to watch these the the preceding deaths mm-hmm. no the is preceding the wrong word probably the the following deaths subsequent subsequent thank you <laughs> and uh and uh there's a mystery and she doesn't know why this person's doing this to her but we got to figure it out yeah and that's that's it that is it. And it's just a great uh, setting. Well, no, we Ugh. don't need to get into it. Ugh. That is the summary. How Ugh. how would we rate it? I gave this a v- extremely hearty rent it with an exclamation point. And then it's another one I have to amend. Like if I had money or it was like I wanted to show it <laughs> to someone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where I like want to show yeah. it to someone. It, it'd be nice to just have there right there on the library on one of those too. on one of those days when you're walking down the street and you just have money falling <laughs> out of your pockets. Yeah, future Ryan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I you know maybe I'm just living on the extremes here, but I you have to buy this if you're a filmmaker. You have to buy. You have to own this movie. In my opinion, I need to own this movie. Awesome. So. I'll, I'm, I'm just such, here's what, here's how I know, here's how I know that I need to own this movie. In the first 10 minutes, I had to stand up to watch it. Like I got out of my seat and like stood close to the TV. And then I joined you by sitting (laughs) on the floor because we, I, I was so glad this one we, we took, I, I like, you know, we always check to see where we can watch it, um, ahead of time. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, okay, well, it's on Amazon streaming, but SD, Ugh. the dreaded $3 SD rental only. 
And I looked it up and I'm like, okay, there is a Blu-ray and it only came out within like the last month or so. And it's supposed to be, you know, a big, a big deal. I'll remaster it and stuff. So I'm like, I'm, I'm calling the video rental stores that we have as go-tos. Let's, let's make it happen if this is supposed to be that good. Um, so I'm glad we did. Sorry. That's a, a long way to too. say. It was, it looked so good. Yeah. Gorgeous. Um, so I think we could very easily just go on and on. So that constitutes ownership for you. Cause like the Blu-ray. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. For me, um, yeah, rent it as in um, it. If it, you you'd think how it, yeah, I guess how it looks, how it's shot, as beautiful as it is, there needs to be like it's it's for me to buy right now. It's got to be like a plus across the board. Sure, and we'll get into yeah. that. Um, no, I, I, I'm yeah. I mean, I have things that didn't work. <laughs> as much as I love this movie, they they exist. Yeah. But uh, if I saw this on anyone's shelves, including my own someday, I'd be like, cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Great. We did the summary. We did how we rate it. Should we do what worked? Yeah. What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? <laughs> <laughs> Work like a charm, Smith. <laughs> what worked? Timothy Aslan, mm-hmm. what worked for you? So many things. But I think that, you know, you can kind of start off with, oh, God. There's I wrote, so many places to start, Here's actually. what I, I, I wrote. <laughs> there's two things next to which I wrote, where do we even start? I wrote, how, how it was shot, where do we even start? Production and art design, where do we even start? Yeah. No, that's very true. There's, you know, and I would I would actually add for me... Those two things are so sort of glaringly, obviously incredible that there's this third thing that I think took me a minute to to get to, but in getting to it, realizing, holy shit, that one's so well done too, which is the thematic design. So, for example, this whole movie is thematically based around eyes and what you see. mm the whole thing. And that theme is so beautifully reinforced constantly by the first two things that you mentioned, the, the set design and the, how it's shot, that like scene, to me, it's like you step back and you go, this is, this is mastery. You know, like we're, we're getting to watch a master do their, their craft. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, that's, Again, like why I would say buy it. It 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 is a study in in mastery over a you know an artistic medium to me. That's funny. The themes for me weren't so much about watch. This is what a great movie when you can pick it apart different mm. ways. Yeah. But for me, it was more so about um, being controlled sure. to circum you know having circumstance control you, and then what it means to be human within that, as far as being able to control the situation and others, and having to mm-hmm. let yourself go to that. Well, and I think from a you know so sort of a critical dramaturgical standpoint, I I can support the the eyes argument in in a practical sense consistently. Yeah, I think... so so it's not to say that that's what it's about, or you know. For me, that's a more mo- motif or a theme. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, it's a motif. That's mm-hmm. the perfect word. Mm-hmm. That's a very college word. Okay, well, aside from 
just because I'm on it, you know, we talked. I mentioned where I was shot, production, art, design, but you just made me think of um, something I loved about it. I didn't have down was the uh, the Macbeth thing, the thing of bad luck mm-hmm. is being, and that's what that's where I meant as far as the theme for me of like yeah. uh, controlled by circumstance, and that includes like what is luck and sort of this this greater yeah. unknown control that's happening, you know. Well, and and there's there's also the question of like of of why things happen, right? And how you know what I mean? Like, is there causality? And from one perspective, what is causality, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the murderer has his own, you know, perspective on why, and we, the audience, spend a lot of time trying to figure out the why with the lead character because she's trying to figure it out, but like. All of that is pretty subjective, right? It's like, yeah. You know, one person's luck is another person's, you know, whatever. Like, that's what torment. Was, I guess that connects to that. The, the why behind it all connects to something else. I loved behind it all when you're talking about the why of the motivations of the killer. Like, something I loved about it was this had the, I don't think I'd ever seen this before, but the victim as an intentional recurring witness. Yeah. Where the killer is act is deciding not to kill them, right? But to have them bear witness to the murders of others, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that you know, I f- I feel like I've seen that in certain versions in places at times, but this this really reinforces it as his thing. Yeah, the killer's thing is is to purposefully, specifically make her watch these. I guess what it is, is it's sort of like usually, or a lot of the time, the killings, who's getting killed matters more, right? Like that that they deserved it. In this, the people who are getting killed don't at all. It's just because they're, they're around her. Right. That's right. And that's a cool, that's just a cool way to, to go about it. It's a cool different angle. And Betty, that's who we're talking about is her. Yeah, Betty. Um so yeah, I think breaking that whatever you would call it trope or or the sort of the a, a more typical construct of of who gets killed and why mm-hmm. was really cool. Um and I love I mean I love the the idea that he's he's not only forcing her to watch it, but he's like restraining her, forcing her to watch it and then like letting her go. Yeah. That's like what cut, I meant. Like uh, cutting the rope and being like, okay, bye. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's awesome. What were, did he, I'm trying to remember what were some of his like lines or things he was saying? Like what sort of, didn't we have little sort of snippets or esoteric clues as to like what he was maybe egging her on about or. Yeah. E- yeah, there's gotta be, but I think it gets lost a little bit in the first time viewing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'd be really hard pressed to to pull out actually what he's saying. I mean, I know he he does actually say, you know, you, I'm gonna make you watch this, and you're yeah. gonna see every part of it. And how does he make her watch it? <laughs> oh, the best. This is the best. <laughs> this is a design thing. Like this, the design in this movie, all over this movie is so fucking good but this idea of putting needles on a piece of tape in a row and then taping them under your eye so that you can't close your eye or else you'll impale your eye or eyelid is 
wonderfully brilliant and and evocative to me yeah i i love it and it and it doesn't really matter that it kind of you kind of look at it and go well yeah i mean she could close her eyes if she yeah. wanted to it does but it doesn't matter that that's the case it, it it gives you enough of the of the idea for you to just be like fuck yeah you know what i mean and it is it's it's unsettling mm-hmm. right because you start imagining imagining what that would be like to have a needle go and through about, the cornea yeah. or the yeah the cornea of your eye like that first surface like even just scraping against the cornea holy fuck to now just if we're trying to touch on you know what worked overall to it how it was shot in the production art design oh. well how about what accomplished that for me is, you know, that um, identification with the victim is like the close-ups of the eyes. So good. The the macro focus, you yeah. know, the macro shots. I love that. Oh, my God. Me you too. know, and you've seen that in other things, like Evil Dead has it. I think, mm-hmm. it, well, it would be Evil Dead 2, I think, has some really, really good macro close-ups of eyes, you know, flit, flitting around. Um, and well, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is yeah. more so comes to mind for me. Yeah, and so that's because you watch that movie all the time, and I watched Evil Dead. No, too actually, all the time. I watched Evil Dead all the time. <laughs> so, if, but yeah, know, I love, I love that. Like, get in your face. Yeah, it's so exciting. And when it's done well, and when it's it's done with sort of an added element of of, is this a word? Ev- evoco. Evocation, evocativeness, whatever that is. Yeah, you know, it just and also when it, it's a character that you really like. I love Betty. Like, mm-hmm. I want to, I want to like marry Betty or be best friends with Betty. Like, the character is so appealing in so many ways because she's not just this sort of damselly, like, you know, helpless thing. Um, she's she's layered, and also she's. She's doing they they've done a thing where they take this idea of the ingenue and they actually hu- they humanize her more. Mm-hmm. So instead of kind of overtly sexualizing her, they they kind of go in the opposite direction. They're like, no, she's just a she's just a young person and put her in young person's clothes. You know, she's wearing, you know, a t-shirt and and baggy pants. She's not they're not exploiting that trope at all and i think that really gets us to get on board with her yeah in a, in a really comfortable it's like we're getting comfortable with her as a person and that makes us root for her more right it makes us feel her like, being naturally beautiful does have something is playing a part too for sure right but she you know she, as beautiful as she is she's got kind of quirkiness to yeah. her look right like she she has some some mouth kind of like uh i don't know what you what do you call this she's like not expressions but she's got kind mm-hmm. of uh what the fuck do you call it like she moves her mouth in a way that is his personality a little go- and, it's a little yeah. goofy and um, that's great it reminded me so like well this is what we're talking about and i had this too like the <laughs> What worked for me was the Leeds slash the Italians. And <laughs> I had basically everything that you just said about her. Um, it reminded me of when we mentioned in Halloween how Laurie Strode, how she's has a, a natural 
vulnerability in the sort of the final girl way where it's like if we're talking in pure slasher terms there's like the men and the woman who for some reason we have fun getting watch killed off and then the one that we really want to see succeed at the end is most typically a young woman (laughs) yeah um and she she had those final girl elements that was a, a very horror movie way to sort of put what you were i think more um yeah putting putting yeah yeah i mean even in the in the one romantic sex sex scene if you if you will they don't like you don't actually see her which i was surprised by you you don't see her fully naked right Mm -hmm. i don't think you see the betty's nude boobs at all in this you see somebody else's uh i forget who it is who is it Let's just consult the film here. Let's pause it. <laughs> hmm. Let's think. No, but anyway, so you do see... Oh, it's in the flashback. It's in the flashback slash dream. That per, that I think that woman's shirt gets cut open or something like that. So you do get a boob. You get your sort of requisite foreign movie boob shot. Um, but, but they don't do it with the lead. And I think that's... I, you know, it's nice to, to not sort of be like, oh, we have a really beautiful actress and, you know, we're, we're, we, you know, we kind of, we got to show her naked because that's what the mm-hmm. audience wants. It's like, fuck that. No, you don't have to. That's not her character either. Like that, that doesn't speak to the broader, you know, sense of what this film is about and what her character is, is about. Yes. So don't do it. Like, you don't have to show tits. Right. You don't. Okay. <laughs> like, let's fucking move on. And this was all a very, erudite way to sort of uh tiptoe around the fact we were absolutely fawning about her throughout the whole I mean, film. No, it's true it's true we're sitting there going dude i mean everybody in this movie for the most part is really pretty so that's what i wanted to bring up to transition and to not be so one-sided i also had you know the men being really handsome yeah and i wanted to break down what that the was director doing. is the only one who's kind of doughy looking yeah but so so since this whole film is kind of an effective whodunit at the same time, yeah. there's something really fun going on when we have, um, I guess, who who ends up being the killer is maybe the most, like, Italian, typically handsome one, strong-jawed, manish, oh, yeah. you know? Um, but what's <laughs> so fun about having handsome men suspects like that is we are... Um, Inherently distrustful of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like we want them to be the protector, Right. Um, right. We've been told that they are the protector yeah. in, in, you know, especially when this one cinematic history ends right? up be, is the cop who ends up being the bad guy. But so so that's so that was sort of when I thought about it, you know, wanting the the big strong man to be <laughs> protect. That sounds bad saying. Yeah. It, I think, yeah. You know, um, <laughs> no, but that's the language of storytelling in, in cinema. Ninety percent of the time. Yeah. Right. So I, and then the idea of I'm always. I really, really love when you take you take the trope or the the standard um, knee jerk of like who's the protector, like the mm-hmm. police, the police officer. He's somebody who's quote unquote supposed to protect, or the father figure. They're supposed to protect. I love it when you turn that upside yeah. down and you say, no, no, just kidding. Like those people can be assholes too. Yeah, or the worst. Well, what and then what? Um the most apparent and appealing thing to me personally about having the um, handsome male suspects is knowing. And then when it actually happens, witnessing 
a guy like that being absolutely crazy yeah, yeah. and manic, a, a maniac, yeah. you know, in like, <laughs> like the, the ending. I mean, I don't want to skip ahead too much, but when he's had his eye gorged out by ravens his and is eye. like stark mad to see someone who yeah. like, we know, we think of it's, it's going to be someone, uh, I don't know, you know, scary looking or, or weird looking yes, or whatever. Exactly. So to have it be strong, Italian, handsome man. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love it's that great. so much. Kind of like the ending of, you know, Scream. It's right. like the yeah. young Skeet young, Ulrich. Pretty, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is that his name? <laughs> yeah. Pulling it out of left field. Yeah. No, yeah. it's, it's one of those names. But it's true because that's the world we actually live in. Mm-hmm. Right. If you look at the profiles of serial killers, there's I mean, there's Ted a Bundy. There's a broad range. Getting but played the by one, what's his face? That's right. Zach Efron. There's a the ones that we often remember the most are the ones that are. Oh, he was so handsome and he was so charming. And that is a quality of psychopaths. Yeah. Not every psychopath is handsome and charming, but. A Very lot often of charming. them, charm is yeah. the big, big factor. Well, it's the it's the, it's because they're good at at pretending to have emotion when they don't. Well, they're good at observing and then right em- their emulating and their yeah exactly. Okay, well we do got to touch okay. on how it was shot. <laughs> this was a good a good string of connectivity, but sort of I mean where I can <sighs> where I can start with how it was shot is uh, whatever struck me first which was the, I've used this before, the sort of the freneticism of it all. Yeah. The, the, the amount of cuts happening, the movement of the camera, all that good stuff. Yeah, I even said, because this uses Steadicam a good amount. Mm-hmm. And it in a time when I don't think Steadicam, like we had a, a brief conversation about when did the Steadicam come about and, and like where was it used initially yeah and and as, knew, as far as this, i know it was it speaking. was rocky was the first one going up the steps and then it was made most famously next in the shining yeah and those are 10 years earlier from this so this one so yeah, it's been you, around but it the way it's used and i think that i sort of realized i think the connection to make is that the the the, the, the cinematic or cinematography language that is is overtly used in this you can kind of point backwards to people like Kubrick and before Kubrick, who I think the succession seems to go like this. It's like you have your universal horror stuff and then you have Alfred Hitchcock and then you have Stanley Kubrick and then you have the eighties, you know, you, you take a hard right into a totally different style of shit with the West Cravens and the, um, and the what's his name the other fucking john carpenter, john carpenter thank you like that realm of slasher takes this this big right actually turn. halloween was the other big one right. to use it that opening famous opening shot and so but the that language like that that you know you're living in the realm of horror you're obviously privy to the history of horror cinema yeah. and you're pulling things from that that you but, like and and you're doing your version of that and it felt to me this felt like that i actually thought this movie was a 70s movie when we were watching it and then we looked it up and we were like holy shit it's late 80s well as but far it has as, that language yeah as far as it fits in the progression of all that i could see technologically the 10 years later like this camera was 
it's going fast compared to the shining You're and right. everything like it was yeah. whipping around corners going up yeah. and down staircases that's where it entered the realm of being able to call it frenetic yeah but then um as far as like uh filmmakers approach though with it it felt for me like the technology was had finally caught up with sort of his full vision of what he'd always wanted to do with filmmaking dude that you know? that crane shit there are crane shots in this that are fucking wild talk about the raven's point of view yeah like flying around the opera house i'm you know and still like just practically speaking trying to kind of wrap my head around how that was executed it's the kind of shots done nowadays that impress us you know yeah (laughs) like yeah yeah they're doing it 30 years ago yeah 30 years ago (laughs) fuck i'm old 32 ugh god um so <laughs> that, that opening shot is so fucking amazing what was it, it was... it's it's essentially you know there's a bunch of cut there's cut-ins to the ravens and the raven's eyes shot it's all about the eyes guys mm-hmm. and then we get this long take that is <clears throat> of the of the the diva mm-hmm. that gets hit by the car and we never see her face, which I think oh, is yeah. so cool. And we follow her from basically behind her on stage, up over her. She walks around the stage, and it's essentially her POV. We go over the music pit. Yeah, I remember it, it, yeah, it's it cool. Ra- it wraps us uh, us over stage left, over the pit, around the pit, right where it's, up the aisle. To clarify, it's a moment of POV. It like goes yeah. in and out of POV. That's for right, her, which was so neat. Yeah, and so you kind of. It's almost like we are the eyes on the back of her head mm-hmm. in that shot because people are following her and they're talking to her and being like, no, 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 please don't go, blah, 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 whatever. And she's like on her way out. And there's just, it's it's technically like really amazing to watch. Yes. And everybody's in performance. No, you know, you don't feel like, I think sometimes you get these long takes that you kind of can feel that it's not been rehearsed enough. Mm -hmm. You see like background people kind of like doing whatever and they're like, and even, I mean, I just watched Ghostbusters two nights ago, I think, or maybe it was last night. No, it was two nights ago. And like, there's a bunch of cuts of a, of an extra out on the street during the, the like third act. And he's like doing fake running, like up, (laughs) up a like piece of the street that has broken apart. And they, they cut to him like three times and it's just him doing this like goofy fake run. Never noticed that. And you're just like, what is that guy doing? Like, why stop Mm -hmm. it? Why didn't a fucking, you know, AD wrangle him and go, yo, chill. Like just stop (laughs) being a goof. But anyway, I don't know why I'm getting into that point being everybody's on and everybody's like they it you can't do this shot without rehearsing the living fuck out of it yeah and it shows like it's so pleasing from so many different sort of sides to watch in a way it's like i guess i'm seeing the shot because i'm looking for it even that, it's it's the shot is so evocative of what's happening that I think what's more impressive is the the impact that the shot has. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's on. It's so beautifully constructed that it's it's giving you this feeling 
that you almost like, I almost didn't know what, that's kind of why I got up. Cause I was like, this is exciting. And I almost don't even know why. So this was not the very first shot though. Cause actually, no, 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 I it's not the up... opening shot. The opening shot is just the Raven. So that is actually what me, uh, proverbially stand up. Like that's what, yeah. I, I mean, I love that shot you're talking about, but I, I personally loved even more the setup of the shots of the Ravens. That's when I was like, okay, this movie's yeah. legit. I am in it. There's something like super, I, I love animals and macro close-up shots, especially yeah. something like birds yep. seeing their eyes. It just reminds you, oh, these are dinosaurs. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 And it just puts you in that. Um, yeah, it's primal. Yeah, yeah, it puts you in that place. I, I, God, I loved it so much. Well, and I, I mean, you know this, like ravens and crows are like my favorite animal. Yeah, like so much so that I like. <laughs> there's a lot of them that live outside of my apartment. There's a tree that they are just all fucking hang out in, and like when I go out on my little patio and like have coffee in the morning, they're they're on the telephone pole wire poles, you know, around me and. I see them so much that I was I like I've named them. Yeah, I know. They're all named Dave because there's so many of them. It's like these how do you name Dave's each I know, just, I know. These yeah. are the Dave's I know. <laughs> yeah, so it's like every time I see one, it's like, hey, Dave. So, but I, they are, they're so fascinating to me, and I'm not even sure why they have an intelligence that's sort of yeah. Like talk about let's get to that the 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 ending. That's right. They're so the heroes. He, yes, exactly. And you like that's the thing. It's like taking things and and horror film. Like look, horror films at their core are pointing at primal aspects of our psyche and trying to kind of stir that up. Mm-hmm. And so it's just such smart storytelling to take things that are inherently primal like ravens and have them be an integral part of the story you know and and then taking it kind of one step further story wise of saying like well what is it about them what what at least one aspect about them that's really fucking fascinating and and helpful to our story and it's the the fact that ravens and crows are able to have facial recognition and who which is and a, what is a threat Right, which is a crazy thing to think about, right? Like they've mm-hmm. done these experiments where they've essentially what this movie does. So so what are we talking about here? Hopefully we're, you watched it, but right, this is we're talking about the fact that the solve of the of finding out who the killer is is because the killer um was already seen by the ravens when he broke in and he killed three of them. Um the director says I have a plan. We're going to we're going to figure out who the killer is by like releasing the Ravens mid performance and they will find him because they'll recognize his face and they'll go after him and then we'll know who our killer is. And boy, did they. And that's fucking awesome because, you <laughs> you know, like I'm saying, you're taking a really fascinating aspect of these animals and you're using that in your story to solve the entire movie. I mean, I, I love, love it. it for. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, Jinx! Jinx! All the uh, obvious reasons, but like, th- I think what um, just tickles me so hard about it is uh, the, <laughs> imagining the perspective of the killer, the 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 inspector, 
thinking like, oh, these birds found me out and right. were clawing my eye. There's something so satisfying about that. Yeah, clawing his eye, eye out. out. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> he got his comeuppance for sure. Yep. Yeah, I just, God, there's so many layers to why this is good. Uh, and you could kind of, I mean, I feel like this is one of those movies where you can kind of just like, it's like the phone, like you can open the phone book and, and flip through the pages and th- slam your finger down wherever. And you could find why that's good in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like whatever you're pointing at. What just came to mind when you said that for me was the setup of knowing who, uh, knowing there was someone in the vent watching her and assuming it was the bad guy. Yeah. And then it's just a little girl yeah. who actually ends up saving the day and has an abusive mother. So she spies on her neighbors. Right. Which again, thematically, I'll beat this drum. It's about what you see, mm. right? And who sees what from what perspective? You know, this little girl is is spying on, I just did air quotes, is spying on her. She's watching her, right? Like, it's about those things. And about, like, why, we, why we're fascinated with other people's lives, right? You can go down that s- sort of uh, pathway of, of thematics, of, like, why the ingenue is so adored by everybody. Why, you know what I mean? So, like, we're all watching these things and mm-hmm. it's it's about what we see and the importance of that from whatever perspective we're we're pointing at and i just think like how well that wraps around like this whole murder mystery in like this lovely fucking blanket of of theme or motif it's just fucking awesome it's in every little aspect of the film yeah i love that that to me is like it's so satisfying when a writer and director are able to put that together and and reinforce it over and over and over again and not in a fucking way that's like hey 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 look at this look 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 it's it's just there (laughs) and it feels good and you don't have to think about it I like thinking about it, but you, the, the, you know, if you want to just watch this movie and enjoy this movie, you can. You will, you will like uh, absorb that subconsciously. Yeah, and it has a positive effect on you. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Very excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, just looking at more of my notes for how it was shot. Where do we even start? Um, the freneticism. So I mentioned that, but what like really took me. Aside from that is when you know how to balance that freneticism with the opposite of that. So so the example that came to mind for oh, me yeah. that I wrote down was um, during, I mean, you can call this how it was shot as well as just pacing. Uh-huh. But there's, there's a moment that just sort of simply showed us the grandeur of the opera house from kind of the point of view of the stage where we just sort of floated oh, yes. up and like took in the opera house and yeah. kind of then floated back down. That was just like, I, this place is gorgeous. I'm here. This is all just gorgeous. I want to bathe in this. Yeah. I think that there is there's something to shooting that stuff with a wide lens. I don't know why it feels so good. Yeah, well it's But it does. You almost fish eye it. And there's something really pleasing. I don't know. Maybe it's just because we've seen it a lot. I think and, it's and the amount of detail you're receiving. Yeah. Yeah. It's really... Yeah. I mean, it makes me think of, like, shots, especially, for some reason, shots of theaters. And and I think theaters are, you know, often built to be ornate and beautiful and, 
you know. And you probably always, don't get more beautiful than old Italian opera houses. Right. I mean, I like, every time I go to a theater, I usually find myself looking, staring at the ceiling, because mm-hmm. there's usually some sort of... There's some neat ones here in cool LA. Cool design, right? The and, Ace Hotel, yeah. the Pantages, all that. Right. And, and so capturing that and translating it on you know in a way that is pleasing is is awesome because you see that shot all the time not that particular shot but you see wide shots of the inside of theaters from certain angles a lot and you know it's i don't know what a good example is but like (laughs) uh black swan probably does it yeah um you know like the last waltz probably does it so shit like you know (laughs) music documentary right um but it is a I think it's a part of being in those spaces. Yeah. You like when you like I'm saying, like when I go there, that's a thing I do. So knowing that as the director and saying, Oh yeah, we need we need to show this. Mm-hmm. And we need to show it in a way that is like you're saying, you're getting all of the information. It's the grandeur. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I <laughs> We enjoyed this film. Yep. Um, I guess I can get on more more specifics here. Just pick one, unless you have one that's on your precipice. Oh. Uh, setting up the police officer at the beginning, the inspector as a fan, and at him as a suspect. You know, he... Yes. I, I'm just like, well, looking back at it, I'm like, he should have been a prime suspect. But for some reason, it was just, it was just done in that perfect way where it's, it it hides itself in sort of that the the first 10 pages of a movie when you're getting to know the situation and the characters where you think oh this is just us getting to know the characters versus necessarily this is a prime suspect watch for him like i'm like the writing should have been on the wall but something about it hit it so well i, I totally agree like in hindsight you look at the scene that he's introduced and it it couldn't be more fucking obvious. First of all, why is he there? <laughs> right? Like, why is this inspector there? Yeah. In the first place. Well, that was sort of this one the of those. The murder hadn't happened That yet. was one of those well, questions. Had during the performance. There was enough but... hubbub and activity where we just sort of gathered that, um, okay, there's stuff going on that we don't know and that's fine. Yeah. Or that, you know, this is a big deal and it's a town where everybody shows up to the opera. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. But like the, fact like that the mayor gets... showing up. Yeah. The inspector yeah. But shows he, up. he gets backstage and asks for an autograph. And then there's this shot, again, of him spying on her mm-hmm. where- he's gotten her autograph he leaves and and betty's boyfriend comes in and they're talking and she kind of looks out of the corner of her eye and like there's a a long shot of him in the in the background he's kind of behind there are people like crossing frame or whatever he's kind of back there and he's giving her the fucking creep eye (laughs) right you know and she's like "Ooh, that guy's creepy it was like you just called the whole movie right there right yet somehow (laughs) maybe it was just so it's like you know um put it out right in front so we don't suspect it yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. It was this, that balance was handled so well. Well, and also there are other people that are like, we're like, well, that guy's kind of great. Yeah. The director. Kind of really, yeah. The director, um, even the boyfriend. The boyfriend. I was just like, this is the older brother from home improvement. He, he died. <laughs> I forgot about him, but that's how I remembered him in it. You know what I mean? That's actually the, the that would be hilarious. He's got that the same character it, or the same just, actor. Looked like him to me. That dude, that actor, 
<laughs> I forget his name now. But Home Improvement's not that old. It wasn't the I same know. actor. I know. He used to come into the bar that I worked at in New York. <laughs> <laughs> and it was always such a weird thing because he's like, you see him as an adult and you're like, wait, I know this guy. And you oh, say, oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I, bet he, I bet that kid fucking hates that. I would hate that. Uh, anyway, he's a nice dude. I forget his name. Uh little moment i loved so much that i'm like don't forget this ryan it was it was uh when it's the like we're with the killer watching a tv screen of her and the knife is scraping against the glass of the tv screen of the image of her it's like why hadn't i seen this before i don't think i have but it's so just sort of good and obvious to do yeah and they and they get the sound right yes where it's like, it's just enough to make us go, nah, please stop doing that. <laughs> yeah. And I don't like it. Exactly. It hurts my ears. <laughs> but just, that's so loaded, just sort of the knife against her image like that. The visual, too, it, I don't, I, I remember think during that shot thinking, why does this look so good? Mm-hmm. And I don't really know what it is. It There's something about how it's lit or composed that, or all of the above that felt hyper real and also unreal at the same time. I really don't know what that is. It may be just sort of the nature of putting something metal in front of a TV screen that creates sort of (laughs) a weird, like a weird contrast of, of, an image within an image and I a think real that's thing. it. The it, image within an image. Yeah. It does it, a lot. It was, I just was like, cause we think of looking at a TV or a screen as, okay, here is a vision of reality. So to do one more step removed from right. that, it, uh, it has that effect. Yeah. It was cool. It felt very eighties to me. Well, at first in a good way, when you were saying that the, the, what did you say? Hyper real yet real. What did like you say? Un- something yeah, like unreal. that? That sort of seems like a good summation of the appeal of these Italian horror yeah. films. They, <laughs> yeah. They get at that. Yeah. Man. It's I, just so cool to me. I love the... I don't uh, know why. Talk about how it looked. I love her apartment and the built-in oh, bed and the furniture, dude. the wood of it. Oh, yeah. And we should point out if you watched Planet of the Vampires with us or <laughs> listened to it, the, the, the colored orbs were the same color of that like yeah. pastel green yep. red. <laughs> well, had. and I mean... I I don't want to I don't want to go too down the fucking you know what do you call it down the rabbit hole of of color in this movie but it's all it's all about red and green yeah and it's constantly but not in a Christmassy way no no <laughs> it's so good essentially my takeaway was most of the time there's so much red in this movie. And that's, I think that's a pretty standard thing for the Giallo films, yeah, right? Like blood is certainly blood. present. But there are red curtains everywhere, and there's red lights everywhere, and there's, you know, there's... One of my favorite moments is we've set up times early on where you've got red lights. So, for example, in her bedroom, right after the f- second... No, right after her boyfriend has been killed, she goes back to her apartment. She gets picked up by the director, which is sketchy as fuck. He just mm-hmm. happens to be there and he picks her up. But they go back to her apartment 
And, you know, this is just good fucking filmmaking. You go back to the apartment with a person that you suspect could be the killer, and she's in her safe space with him, and there are two lights that we've established early on. There's a green light and a red light in her room, and the green light is off, and the red light is on, and we don't know whether or not this guy is safe. So we're just suggesting as, you know, the filmmaker's just making the suggestion. We're, even though this is a safe space, green being safe, red being dangerous, we've turned off the green light. And then that was set up for later. What was the moment where it was flashing between the two? That's right. So later on, we're in the, we're in the, in the same apartment and it's the sequence where the cop has come to sort of be there to, to protect her, but she's put eye drops in. And so she doesn't actually see the person who walks in claiming to be the cop to protect her. And she has also invited her manager over to, like, figure out, like, to talk about shit and and whatever to make her feel safer. And they both realize that the cop who was downstairs might not be the guy who's in in the apartment. And they confirm this, right? And so they run and they they get into, I think it's the kitchen, maybe. It's another room. And there's a big window out there with like blinds on it but there is flashing of green light alternating with more of a purple but it's essentially a a pinkish red and it's it's alternating and that's exactly what's going on in the character's situation right there they don't know if they're safe or if they're in danger and it's a really basic thing but it's so fucking effective because I think I assume that we subconsciously as humans, this is why it exists in film, right? We just subconsciously get it. Yeah. I mean, to take, you know, a thing that I love, this is done in Spider-Man Homecoming. <laughs> in the moment, spoiler alert, in the moment that they reveal who... um could just say the bad guy. The, I haven't seen it. Okay, so th- they reveal who the bad guy is. And in that moment when the bad guy realizes that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, he's driving a car and he pulls up to a red light and it goes from green to red. I think it goes from green to red. So you think you're safe and then it goes to red in that moment. And you see that change on his face as the light changes from green to red. <laughs> And you go, uh-oh, we're, you know, even just subconsciously you go. So this is a device that's been around forever, right? Yeah. But it's it's consistently effective when done. Well, I guess when done right. Everything's consistently effective when it's done right. But the way that they're doing it in this movie or that Argento is doing it is it's just on that fucking perfect, for me, perfect surface of, of subtle yet yeah. effective. I agree, and you had started. Uh, you had you had set up that uh, situation of her in her apartment and the killer coming over. That that all was my favorite kill and sort of sequence. It is I think. amazing. Oh, so, and how does the manager get killed? Right. The uh, that was my favorite kill through the eye. So so when <laughs> it's all about the eye. When she let him in. Um, who ended up being the policeman? That's right. You were like, "Oh, she, this is where it kind of lost me." She's, you know, she's stupid here. Blah blah blah. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so, but yet, that's, but the, you, I guess, you were wrong in that. You know, I mean, it doesn't change her non-hesitation, or you know, but um, yeah, we'll get to that. But something about, 
once once that had happened that because i was doubting that you said that i'm like i don't maybe that is the police officer though like right. i was doubting everything so it was like i was fully i was generally wasn't sure if it was the killer or not when it was the um the killer was trying to get through the door and kind of like loosely showing the id yeah yeah and then so that way when the when the he shoots her through the doorway through the peephole uh, that was just one of those like oh yeah. like the genuine oh moments for and me. And also, you know, one of those great kills where you where you know it's gonna happen about a third of a second before it happens. Yes. <laughs> you go, oh, oh bang and it happens. It's so good. Yeah. That shot I was talking with my friend last night about this. There is a wide shot. So so you go from that super, super magnified close-up of the bullet actually traveling through the peephole. Mm-hmm. And it's... I don't know how you even explain that. It's its almost a microscope. In, you're, it's like the camera's inside the side of the peephole and you see the bullet. The bullet goes... is is full frame. Yeah. And it's, and it's slow-mo moving through the peephole and then it goes back to regular speed, I think, and shoots out and you get the squib on the the girl's eye and that blows up. But then they cut to a slow-mo shot of a wide down the hall. So the construction of the shot is really fantastic. So foreground, you have Betty reacting to the shot, like the gun going off. This is all in slow-mo. She has just pulled the phone into the hallway and she i think is holding it mm-hmm. and in this one in this one shot you get three squibs which is amazing you get the squib of the door of the actual people blowing up you get a squib on the back of the head of the manager yeah. who's just been shot so you see her hair kind of blow up and then you get a squib inside the phone blowing the phone up Mm -hmm. that all happens in one take in shot (laughs) in slow motion and the phone blows up in such a way that it like a big piece of it floats through the air and lands like in the foreground yeah and betty kind of collapses to the ground that like i'm thinking how first of all constructing that visually is amazing just coming up with that's we're we're basically putting the camera at the end of where the bullet would presumably hit and we're watching it travel towards us and we have three things that really four things that mark in sequence the traveling of the bullet Mm -hmm. and that's awesome but also the idea that they got it in that take it amazes me it makes me feel like they're like well let's just give it a shot and whatever we get that's it we're not doing this again Mm mm-hmm and it just I doubt I'm sure it's like no this is has to be as great as it can be yeah you know? well that's what I wonder you know like whether or not it's one of those moments where you go we've only got one go at this and it and it just serendipity worked. was on their side or if they did that 20 times and yeah. my guess is more to the former I but think, maybe not I think more it's like they did it 30 times <laughs> Right, Maybe we, I'm romanticizing it. We should get to the wrap wrap up the ending I want to talk about okay. here. Um at first like 
you could sort of call it the case of multiple endings. So it's like <laughs> yeah. the the Raven finding the guy, yep. calling him out, and then the showdown between just her and him when uh, it gets set on fire Locked the in the room, room. Yep. and then um and then the epilogue where he comes back yet yep. again. So it was kind of during the when the first one didn't end up being the actual ending i was kind of like indifferent to it still going but as soon as like i i I guess i I started then perking back up again once i realized oh this is no this is great because we finally are getting this sort of final showdown between them and you know where with it getting set on fire so like I was down for that, and I was at this point still genuinely didn't know if she was gonna live or not throughout <laughs> yeah, this whole time. Yeah. Like I'm like, oh, he could. This is it. He's got her now. And then the actual epilogue, where it's like, we think it could be the possible happy ending, but he's still free. Uh, <laughs> I'd love that the reveal of like showing how he faked his death. That the bad guy. What's his name? Uh, Mark. Oh. Uh, no, no, Inspector Alan Santini. Right, Alan. Alan. <laughs> should have known yeah so alan <laughs> faking his death that is his real name um wh- it was like oh my god he's still there and it, it 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 uh it kept up that energy of my of that twist of like the the director yelling out to her run run as fast as you can kind of thing <laughs> and then just that whole sequence playing out her running and booking it and then the killer's there running after her, who's obviously, Alan, is obviously faster than her. And then, like, a quarterback, the guy, then, then the, director <laughs> the director coming yeah. to, like, knock him down. And then she finally then is the one who, like, you know, with a rock, right? Yeah. Beats well, him she up. has to fool him first and, and sort of prey on his own psychosis by, by not being the, like, please don't kill me. Yeah. She's like, I'm into you. Let's go. Right. So... Anyway, I just yeah. You hear my voice. I loved all of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was something about the, the the idyllic setting getting interrupted too. Where yeah. like I was actually, for all I knew, it was this nice little idyllic epilogue. Like I didn't know that was gonna happen. Well, and I twist. love the this subtle little moment of the <clears throat> of the housekeeper carrying something like precariously. Mm-hmm. And they kind of see her and she's like, I'm going to put this over here. And they're like, okay. And then she like a a few moments pass and then you hear a crash. And Betty kind of goes, oh, I knew that was going to (laughs) happen. And then I, I guess almost stupidly didn't think anything of it until a couple moments later when they're saying, yeah, the killer's on the loose. I'm like, well, of course the the, the housekeeper just obviously got fucking killed. And that's what that was. Where it should be obvious. And I think why (laughs) what works is because we want her to have that idyllic ending so bad. We want that so bad. Yeah. Cause she really has been put through the ringer. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then the very, the, the actual end ending of her letting the reptile free the lizard free yeah that yeah. was kind of those just one of those like okay this is a full i don't know you know <laughs> it gives you something to chew on that was <laughs> it was just so good i loved it it made me kind of go she might have lost it <laughs> like we don't know you can take it a bunch no, of different for me ways. it was like she's made it to the other side like when you have that sort of um attention to something that you you know she's obviously just caring for an animal that moment taking in the flowers that's not a that's not someone losing it to me that's someone who's who's now as i said came out the other side yeah i i think it's 
Yes. I think it's purposefully ambiguous. Yeah. I think you could look at that and go, she's, she has, well, yes, she has come out the other side, but the other side is her just being like, I'm done with humanity. I, and see, this is us putting our own projection on right. it, but I'm t- interpreting as, oh, she's seeing it again for the first time. Right. Whereas I'm I'm saying I think there was hints of you could take this as she has this experience has has basically brought her to, uh, you know, like it's broken her enough to be like, I can only look at the world uh i don't even know how to with fresh eyes it. again is what i kind see of it. but but in a in a she's she is dissociated from humanity but like what else is she she doing there like, it was this, it was like one of those situations i where mean just in practical so context shocked, you know her, this whole experience happens in you know in that moment, she's like, yeah, I'm going to lay down with these flowers. <laughs> that to me is a little bit of the like, she's she's rejecting. Well, for me, the, it's she's like, rejecting yeah. what ha- she's just been through. No, it's and been like, like, no, it's I'm like, what do you do when you sort of if you're going through some sort of traumatic? I don't know if I'm going to make it to the other side or not. Life or death situation. When you make it to that light at the end of the tunnel, what do you do except bask in it? Sure. No, I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I'm saying I think they the filmmakers were that there is ambiguity in that left for the audience to decide how they want to to see where her yeah. state of mind is in that. Well moment. her her just reveling in the in in the moment aside, her setting the lizard free was just very again, that's why I I take the greater overall theme being that mm-hmm. sense of control and power yeah, yeah. is uh how I was mostly interpreting all this. Yeah. So, but loved that. And uh, the very last thing I had, unless you have something else, was what put this movie from like great, there are all these great moments in it, but like what put the movie into like where I could get into the mindset and mood of viewing it as great, in all capitals, great, was those, I guess, the dream sequence esoteric cutaways of this like, brain kind of like heart like organ and it was it was just so surreal yeah like i can't tell you what that was but it was there and it was intentional yeah but it it just really brought it up to that other level for me that when i was watching it and imagining without it i wouldn't have been in the same sort of uh well myself vulnerable place Yeah, I kind of forgot about that shit. It's right. so good. Th- that's you reminded me of that earlier when you said dream sequence, and then I'm like, oh, that's why. That's what yeah, I wrote yeah. down. I'm like, oh, right, that that I had to mention that. Yeah, yeah, it's such a cool little addition. It's such a good device too. It's like if you want to get the audience that much more kind of viscerally on board with the experience that a character is having, find some sort of cutaway uh almost graphic thing to to that speaks to that right well, I, it could be anything it's like I what guess, i've brought up kind of in previous you know things that work for me in other films but is having being presented with something uh, i'm trying to think of what the other example was i think it was just happened last episode where it's like um you can't assign meaning to that yet it's there you know sure. it's, it's beyond it's a beyond logic 
presence yeah. and thing puts us in that. That's what puts you in the vulnerable somewhere else state. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Great. Do you want to see if there was any not good stuff in this? What didn't work yeah. for us? I mean, Jesus, we just talked it for an hour. About Let's do what, it. What, what worked. did not work? <laughs> it's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> Uh, I didn't have much if you want to. I don't really have much. I think that like you had mentioned it, there are a couple logic, like character logic moments where I just, it just made me go, you're pushing it on, on whether or not I'm like, like I think I said the willing suspension of her stupidity Mm -hmm. where I was like, I don't believe that this character who I think is not dumb would put herself in this situation at this point in the story. The one that's the only one that uh, sort of gave me any pause in this. And it wasn't so much of a, like, it was a stupid decision, but more just so I couldn't understand or I felt like I'd missed something with the character motivation. But it's after the, um, one of those first attacks, she goes out to the payphone and calls the police. And when they ask, who is this? She hangs up and like goes to work or whatever. And I couldn't figure out why she was um, so reticent to to, right. to to keep this all secret and to have it be anonymous. Me neither. But I wonder if there's then, a purposeful clue in it. Right. And then it's, I wondered. It's like well, a distrust of authority right, kind of thing. Which then I wondered. It's like, did she suspect this fan from the get-go? Even instinct-wise. Yeah. Right? Like subconscious instinct-wise. Yeah. Maybe. So I wondered... It was if that could just actually, you know, now seeing it a second time, if that would hold up and sort of like, right. no, she's she's actually smarter than us. She's suspecting yeah. the inspector in a way we don't. But as far as experiencing it for a first time, that just give give me get jilted yeah. me a little bit. Yeah. Um, shit. There, the other big thing for me, and maybe this is just a, I don't know. Well, I guess if I'm wondering this, then it's. It is a problem because I was going to say maybe I just need to watch it again, but you shouldn't have to with something as big as the motivation of the killer was really obtuse to me, even when they explained it. I still had, I had to go like look up the plot and look at really specifically what was going on. And apparently, and I didn't really get this, so he was... A lover of her mother, which even the lover... Oh, yeah, he's like, you look just like her. Right, so even the lover part, I didn't quite get. And that's what I was trying to remember earlier when I'm like, what was he saying to her? What was, right. what was that? Yeah. So so if I if I understand it correctly, he was a, a teenage lover of, his, of her mother who was basically a psychopath, serial killer, <laughs> that would have him kill women in front of her her the mom and the dream or memory that betty has is as a child looking through a doorway and watching him with the black mask on kill one of these women for her mom Hmm. and that's what the memory is i that was not clear to me I mean, it was clear that the event happened, but kind of the deeper what the fuck is going on didn't ever 
get through to me. That for me is like, I'm not sure. I could say the words. Shouldn't it matter? I should say, I could say everything you just said and I could have put that in what worked for me. I don't want or need that that uber clear yeah. motivation. I, I think what doesn't work for me about it is that I don't know what to think of it. Mm-hmm. See, I'm just so like feeling based, you know, I don't I got I got yeah. that there was something there. And like I was picking up on those clues when they were there. But I'm like, it was so aside the point of what I was enjoying on a first viewing. I Yeah, I think my problem is, is that when you have a murder mystery, like. One of the, the, probably the primary reason that I like true crime and I like mysteries is that, is the idea of, of finding and understanding why somebody would do something so awful and peeling that apart. Uh, that's what's fascinating about At it At least to me. being given things to pick apart. Like what's scary is you can't actually get to the end answer. True, true. But yes, being able to sort of, theorize about it mm-hmm. is exciting to me which where this is reminding <laughs> me of our differentiation on the love for like uh juan the the grudge movies where like the ver- the one that we watched where it was like there's so little um you know sort yeah. of st- there's there's the story set up but then it's sort of non-sequential or yeah it's it's an order but it's sort of like doesn't go to one another i don't know and i'm just like yeah but it's also cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i'm yeah I want answers, I think, yeah. more often. Which I still recommend watch the follow-up, Juwan. Oh, yeah, I haven't I done that more. Um, So the third and only other thing I have is I just didn't love the epilogue. Oh, I had that in what worked, so we I differ know. there. And that's why I didn't say anything. <laughs> it There are pieces of it that I love, but... It, it, I don't know, maybe it's just of the time. It, it tipped too far into almost melodrama for me. And I think maybe yeah. that's a product of like watching two people run, you know, goofily around this setting. It, it just the way that that particular sequence was shot, I was like, yeah, it felt too corny. Here's, okay, here's like where. <laughs> Yeah, given that context, I think, yeah, why it was still able to work for me is, like, it was such a sort of jump in setting to all of a sudden be there. And I get why. Yeah. I think it makes sense. Like, it was it was great for me to actually sort of feel like, oh, we almost reached this sort of, like, fantasy realm. Yeah. With, um, and then to have that be not safe. Right. Like, I was, I was on board. I dig that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. It's almost just kind of the chase scene that i thought was the little running after yeah where he's in his leather jacket and he's goofy running and there's something about slow running and i was like it's true i i think like argento his uh his strengths are able to shine much more indoors you know shoot this like toby hooper shot texas chainsaw the chase in the woods and i'd be a thousand percent on board. So this was actually sort of more tracking with them from afar. Correct. And then Texas Chainsaw was sort of weird as planted on a tripod and Dolly's like in the action. Yeah. And there there are there are um handheld mm-hmm. shots in the in Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. Like running alongside. And it goes on and it is a lot a third of, low, of the movie. Yeah. A lot of low <laughs> to the ground sort of tracking. 
if that had been because that actually feels more like yeah. the rest of this movie there was something with a little distanced perspective yeah that uh, which you know maybe the choice was to do to do it that way to to get what you're saying the effect of like this is this epilogue is is could actually be a dream mm-hmm. you know what i mean it has this kind of like it felt more that way yeah right um so in a more specific moment thing to to wrap this up her solution of i'm gonna i'm gonna say i'm i'm with you right after he's killed the director out in you know the mountains her being like oh no it's okay let's go off together that it didn't feel grounded enough in in a like she's she is using his story like what his belief system against him and getting the upper hand it felt kind of surfacey and i think the reason is is because i didn't have enough of why he was doing it in the first place for her to use that against him yeah for me it just stepped into the whole the fear for me was coming from this the the michael myers you know fear this the a relentless force of just yeah this guy's crazy I didn't need to know his, you know, actual motivations for why he was crazy. It was just that crazy non-logic was coming at me and I couldn't stop it. Sure. So there's, here, here's an example of, of what I mean done, not necessarily great, but done in this, it's a, it's the same construct in Red Dragon. <laughs> the sequel. The sequel, which is not a great movie, but there's this whole thing of why the killer, the, uh, who's, I don't remember his name. Um, Ray Fines. Yeah. I saw this in theaters. So but... the killer has a psychological thing that they are picking apart the whole movie, right? They're trying to figure out what is motivating him because they're looking for the killer. They're profiling him. And they realize that he most likely was badly abused and shamed by his mother, I believe probably. And that's the profile. And so in the moment when he's in um, the finale in the house and he has grabbed uh, the the main guy, Ed Norton's son, and Ed Norton starts scolding and shaming the son for peeing his, wetting his pants, peeing his pants, and that's the solve to get to disarm the killer. That's, that's enough. Like, I, that's, that feels good to me because... It shows that the the main character used the, their knowledge and their sort of smarts to disarm the bad guy. And in, in Opera's version of that, it wasn't quite deep enough for me to feel pleased by it. Mm-hmm. That's all. It just was sort of on the surface. It's like she used the most basic thing of like, oh, no, no, it's cool. I'll go with you. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. Like I wanted a little bit more meat that could have been in a more sort moment. of like we could have had that set up subtly. Right. And I don't that's what I'm saying is I don't think you could use I think 
you would normally use his backstory and her knowledge of discovering why he's doing it in the first place to support that she was moment. exploiting if he, if she reminded uh mm-hmm. him of her mother she that's, was exploiting that uh, yes relationship. that's exactly it so it didn't quite reach that thing in that moment for me yeah other than that <laughs> other than those three things i just mentioned that are all basically well i guess the first one is earlier on but mostly the epilogue this movie is you know fucking you buy it don't worry about those things i uh <laughs> i loved it so much it was a testament to how the dubbing you know didn't didn't uh, how is that possible detract. how is it possible yeah, that this I did, whole movie is dubbed and it right. did not bother me at all here's the thing it didn't bother me but like i still had to put this in what didn't it's not that it didn't work it's just that there's the part of me that like still wishes so bad it wasn't dubbed because then it could have just been that much better sure. you know it doesn't necessarily mean it was detracting but it's just sort of the what could have been gnawing yeah that was there for yeah, me okay and then um this is nothing specific except i sort of have to give an example and maybe this is again the kind of thing where it's like these a plus movies a lot of the times aren't a plus movies the first time i see them but like this was for me moments of greatness a plus moments but it it wasn't for me like you know, like the the great ones like The Shining or whatever, where it's just like literally every scene is just is. Yeah, every scene is just stellar, you know, is that that <laughs> yeah. a plus like it just at least again on a first viewing didn't quite have that level. But I will say, you know, I want to see it again. I would watch it again and maybe that will change next time I do. Yeah. Cool, Things dude. Note. Yeah, let's get into it. <laughs> This should be interesting. <laughs> I like how uh, a lot of times our sections there end when we transition to the music with this little little giggle from you, this little laugh. <laughs> You'll hear it. <laughs> Why do I giggle at everything? Yeah, well. Because everything's funny. So be it. Because uh, I just love life so much, even though I'm sick. Mm-hmm. I, uh, speaking of getting sick, I thought oh. it was noteworthy that I uh, got sick during the uh, Raven's point of view at the end, that shot that we were, I said it was oh, so really? good. Like when it was just spinning around, you know, it kind of made circles. you dizzy. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. I was getting a little wow. nauseous during that. Cool. Noteworthy. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Ravens. Um, there are a couple really cool things just in terms of people who are involved with this. Um, so the director, the guy who plays the director, Remember, I was sort of like, he's familiar and blah, blah, blah. He's in one of my favorite, favorite, favorite movies of all time. He's in Chariots of Fire. Oh. <laughs> and he plays a character that I, lo- I love. He's, I mean, I forget the that name of the actual character. That is a very Tim movie. <laughs> I love that. And like, my dad was a marathon runner and my brother was a runner. And like, I was never really into running personally, mm-hmm. but like, I appreciate it. And it's sort of nostalgic. And like, my dad was the person to show me Chariots of Fire. I was like, check this out. It's based on real shit. Um, so yeah, that guy, um, uh, his name is Ian Charleston, Charlson, Charlson. Um, yeah, he's in Chariots of Fire and he's fucking great. And that's a great movie. Also, Brian Eno. Yeah. Did the music partially. 
which is really cool. The music we didn't mention, but that honestly is usually a testament to how it, good it was. It's fucking phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. The only there are a bunch of things that honestly like we could you, we can't mention everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that are amazing about this movie. This um I, I wanna mention this. I'm sure you probably have this too, but like talking about the epilogue, I thought it was interesting that, you know, the the when when trying to make the international version, meaning the American cut of uh-huh. it, they wanted to the studio or whoever wanted to cut the epilogue. But uh, Argento refused Good. to let them do that and release it. Um, so Fuck I'm thankful that for whole that thing. That that happens, or maybe I don't know if it still happens as much, but it used to happen so much. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, um, Legend, the movie Legend. Yeah, the two Ridley cuts Scott, of that. Like the two cuts of that. It, if you can get your hands on the the UK version of that with the UK score. No, which, that's that's on DVD, like the release of yeah, DVD. I have, it's I have both. It. Yeah, so get, like, watch that version if you haven't yet because it is a completely different movie. The different score is a big the part, score, yeah. The score, it turns, I mean, it's not that it's not already a fantasy movie, but it really, really turns it into this epic fairy tale with that score. Yeah. Not the Toto score. Don't get me a wrong. Tangerine Dream. I love... Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Tangerine Dream did the score? Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I mean, the, the American score. Wait, I'm confusing them now. I thought the Hang whole, on. the original score was Tangerine Dream. I think and you're then right. The new, the, and then the original score was an actual score. Um, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Score wait a minute. Score. We got to look it up. Music. Fuck. Hang on. No. <laughs> we aren't here to talk about legends, God damn Tim. it. Anyway, th- it's, a, it's an actual music score is the original yeah in the american version it's like rock and roll score that's with the tangerine okay. one yeah there you go oh toto did dune never mind <laughs> no it was uh jerry Scold- goldsmith did the actual cool. so point being it pisses me off when studios or execs or whoever are like no no change your movie fuck you no that's <laughs> the movie yeah <laughs> Don't tell a director to change the fucking movie for an audience. Yeah. Fuck you. Or no, it's not even for an audience. It's just for like, oh, well, if we're able to right. say it's this much shorter, much shorter than. Yeah. It's t- for some bean than statistically, counter bullshit. Yeah. Fuck bean off. counter BS. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Um, That's beyond, all I had for things to note. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't have, I don't really have much more. There's, um, I think just get get into argento and and look if you feel like it it's really worth looking into the collaborations that he had with other filmmakers and other just other people in making their films because they were a large family of of artists making shit and they all helped each other out there's guys like um Actually, the cop who gets killed, who's uncredited, he was like Argento's first AD. <laughs> uh, and he worked on all sorts of other films, including ones with like Mario Bava's son. Mm-hmm. And Argento like co-wrote those with them. Like Bava, Bava's son, Argento, this AD, like all these people were working together on different shit and they made a lot of fucking amazing stuff. I love the family affair yeah. of filmmaking. It's awesome. Build your family. It's so good. Yeah. Like good shit comes out of that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's all I got too. Great. Then how about our recommendations? Ooh, shit. 
do I have one? <laughs> oh yeah, I do. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I do this a lot, I guess. I was looking at our former recommendations. This will be like the fourth time I've recommended a podcast. Um, but it's a CBC, which is a Canadian broadcast. Yeah. What's the third corporation? S- corporation. Thank you. Um, unless it's company and I'm wrong. Yeah. It's one or the other probably. Um, it's called someone knows something. Um, and I th- David Ridgen, I believe is the host, uh, journalist's name and it's really fucking well done and it's, it's true crime stuff, but it's all cold cases. And what makes it different from like other true crime ones? Um, that they're Canadian. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of aboots. Okay. Um, no, I don't know exactly. There's something really pleasing about Ridgen and his research and and just his demeanor and how he goes about this. He's really empathetic and really like seemingly just really kind dude, but like he's, he wants to help the people who are sort of left behind of this, whatever the horrible thing that happened was. Yeah. And I think that's what is, comes across the most is, is him, you know, his compassion, I guess, for being like, we can't let this go. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's worth, it's really worth it. Be prepared when you listen to it. And, and they make sort of warnings in it too. There is some stuff that is, it's hard to listen to at times. So, you know, but it's being Fair presented warning. as information. But yes, yes. But like, there's like in the last season I listened to, there's a nine one one call that is that they play and they warn you beforehand. But it's it's upsetting. It's sort of like, why does that appeal to us? There's a catharsis and truth. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. There's some hard stuff in it, but I think it's important because like a big part of it, and, and like this, you know, I've seen this a lot lately. Uh, sort of surrounding the um, the Ted Bundy stuff and, and how that's, you know, people are like jumping on board with the documentary that's out on Netflix and the Zac Efron thing. And, you know, um, Billy, um, I forget his last name, but uh, an investigative reporter who covers a lot of serial killers, he has posted a lot about, remember like why these stories are out there, like that like many, many women have been killed. Right. Like, let's not forget that that's way more important than profiling the killer. Right. You know, so don't forget that. And I feel like Ridgen, I think I'm saying his name right. The the CBC guy, he has the same attitude about it. It's more about the impact that that these, you know, terrible. Never forgetting the memory of the victims. Yeah, and that's important. And so I, I really like I appreciate the work he's doing, and and they are very compelling stories. And yeah, you know, if you're into that stuff, he's he's a good one to go after. So someone knows something. It's called. I'd like to recommend Dead, a new film, the new Lars von Trier film, Love It or Hate It, The Uh-oh. House That Jack Built. Oh, I know wait, you. Would, I, I thought you said that already. Maybe you just said it to me. I just had said it to you. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's, I it's really not here. I really want to see it. So I, I have friends, you know, who are into his other films who are like, I don't know, you know, it's just kind of boring for me. But like the the first, it's it's segmented into the chapters. The first one I was kind of like, I don't know how I'm feeling about this. But then like the second one I was on board and then the whole movie, you're like, where is this going? And where it went, I felt like it's either going to lose you entirely but or 
or do it for you, which it, it did for me. And I, I have to recommend Dead It because it's the kind of movie where it's like, feels like I'm outing myself somehow when it's something that's just so deplorable and disgusting. How could I even enjoy it? But um, it's because it it uh, it felt like a real, you know, art, artistic piece from this person. It felt honest from him, you know? Yeah. The filmmaker, as messed up as, you know, you if, if you want to call it that, it's uh, honest. And I don't know, that's, for me, that's hard to, like, just purely blanket assign messed up to something when there's some kind of, yeah, I don't know, yeah, there's something to it. And uh, I just feel like I have to recommend Dead It because out of films I saw this year, it's the only one that I've kind of been something about the yeah. feeling it's given me has... Uh, has a well it's it's it keeps i keep coming back to it cool and talking about to um the kind of horror of uh well in the, the case of the metaphor in this film like being trapped in our own uh you know house of our making sure of our own making that that film is uh it's that for a, a messed up serial killer guy <laughs> oh shit and matt Dillon is just he's great you know there's there's this is so tangential there is a time when I was at home, I was probably in my early 20s or whatever, and I was watching um, the actor studio thing with, with Lipton. Mm-hmm. And he was inside the actor studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was interviewing Matt Dillon, and Matt Dillon had like a little goatee. And my mom came down the stairs and she was like, Tim, whoop, you're on TV. <laughs> and I was like, what? And she goes, that- oh, wait, no, no, that's not you. Huh? What? <laughs> she thought Matt Dillon was me. <laughs> like, I was like, I don't look anything like that's, this. That's guy. one of those just like brain break and then yeah. don't don't stop to think about it. Yeah. Like it was hilarious. <laughs> um and there's a director's cut and a non-director's cut. I was lucky to see the director's cut like at a screening in LA. There were sort of a one night across the world screenings of mm-hmm. it. I don't know which one is the one you should see. I don't know the differences, but I mean, I guess based off of where we are just coming from, always go for the director's cut if it's actually a director's cut. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool, man. Great. Well, it's my turn. It sure is. To you pull ready? from this, uh, this baseball cap for next week's oh, film. I think there's other stuff in there I may have left in that hat by accident. Oh, like you, like you my, put in an old uh, one? No, no, no. I mean like... Dirty socks? Oh yeah, I threw a necklace in there. <laughs> Dude, Tim, how weird! We've been pulling these ones pretty um, on point. I, we were literally just talking about this really? before this episode. <laughs> Holy shit! You said it was one you liked, and I said <gasps> it was one that was recommended by Stephen <gasps> King. It's the 2009 remake of The Last House on the Left. Oh shit! Great, I love it. Talk about um, uh, I mean, from what I know about it, um disparaging content is that the right word no off-putting dark uh Uh, unsettling (laughs) messed up yeah it's yes well very exciting uh, very exciting we'll be visiting that realm (laughs) next week tim and hopefully uh hopefully i won't be sick yeah hopefully you won't be sick and i hope you listening will join us for that as well cool dude well you find us at dismemberinghorror.com yep you haven't already you can find us on Instagram at dismemberinghorror.com and on Twitter at dishorrorpod. And my, or no, your handle is at Mayor McDuffie. Yep. And mine is at Tim Aslan. It's like, yeah, on Instagram. You know, my name. On Instagram, those are yeah. handles. Yeah, yeah. Cool dudes. 
That's it. Yes, dudes, me, who's listening. Yeah, all the dudes. <laughs> all the young dudes. All right. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye. Ha, 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 ha.